beauty and skincare is always a hot topic around here, and today I want to tell you about a new product line I've discovered that I think you will like, Exponent Beauty. Listeners of the show will receive 20% off their purchase. More details on that in a minute. Exponent Beauty is a skincare brand with a line of activated anti-aging serums that are clinically proven to reduce fine lines and wrinkles. The beauty of Exponent Beauty is their innovative form factor. The powders are activated with a quadruple hyaluronic acid serum in their patented precision-dosed dispenser. The packaging is gorgeous, and the dispenser itself is refillable, so it has also reduced plastic waste. Exponent Beauty's line of serums can be found in med spas and spas and dermatologists' office around the country. The line is dermatologist-recommended and clinically proven to reduce those fine lines and wrinkles, and to increase brightness and radiance, and to firm skin without irritation. No more expired or underutilized products with Exponent Beauty, just high-quality skincare with ingredients that work. Go to ExponentBeauty.com and use code TELL20 for 20% off a purchase of $100 or more. That's Exponent, E-X-P-O-N-E-N-T, Beauty, B-E-A-U-T-Y.com and use code TELL20, T-E-L-L, the numbers two zero for 20% off your purchase of $100 or more. I'm Laura Tremaine, and I have 10 things to tell you, and you have 10 things to tell. This show is about connection with each other and with ourselves, and the hope is that the things we talk about here will be fuel for better conversations and a personal awareness. Each episode has a prompt or a topic that I want you to take to your journal, text to a friend, or share on social media using the hashtag 10 things to tell you. This is a show about digging deeper and sharing our stuff. I'll go first. You're about to listen to a reading roundup of all the books I've read lately. This is a solo episode that I offer every single month for my Secret Stuff membership community. When you join Secret Stuff, every month you get my reading roundup, regular personal episodes, the Secret Stuff book club, and two monthly Zoom gatherings led by me. You also get 10 Things to Tell You episodes ad-free. All of this for $7 a month over at Secret Stuff. Join me in the absolute greatest corner of the internet. To learn more about a Secret Stuff membership, go to 10thingstotellyou.com slash secretstuff. And now to my reading roundup, a sneak peek of a Secret Stuff episode and presented to you ad-free. I kicked off 2023 with some amazing books. And this is notable because my reading in 2022 was all over the place. It was hit or miss, a lot of misses. And also I just didn't read as much in 2022 for lots of reasons, but I wanted to get back to a better place. My reading has been uneven for the past few years, not because there aren't amazing books being published. 
there are. In fact, that's one of the biggest frustrations about this is because I can see objectively how many amazing books are being published right now. And I just haven't been in a great place to enjoy them. I haven't made time for reading in the same way that I used to. I mean, make no mistake, I do read every single day. I read for 20 minutes, nonfiction in the morning, almost without fail. This is my big secret that's not really a secret (laughs) that I tout all over the place, is setting a 20 minute reading timer. If you haven't tried it yet, it'll change your life. Even if reading is going great for you, a 20 minute reading timer is just one of those things that makes all of life better. Anyway, I still do my nonfiction reading in the morning and I do still read novels or memoirs or whatever else suits my fancy in the afternoon or evenings, but I'm just spending a lot less time reading and I have been less satisfied with what I am reading overall. And I know that that's me and not the books and not the authors and not the industry. It's just me trying to get my mind and heart right for this thing that I love so much, which is reading. So I'm excited to have started this year with some great books. I'm excited to share those with you because we did not do a reading roundup in December because we had a bunch of other reading content at the end of December, best books of the year. We also had that short episode with my book club about the popular and buzz-worthy books of last year that we didn't connect with. That was an exclusive episode to Secret Stuff. So we're talking about a lot of reading things in December. So I didn't do my usual monthly reading roundup, which means I have several to talk about today with you and then a couple that I actually did read in December, but I didn't get a chance to share them. So I'm going to share them now. Remember that on these reading roundup episodes, I do not give hardly any words to the book that we chose for our book club because we have a whole Zoom gathering and episode that's dedicated to that. So I don't want to use your time here talking about that. But I do always share with you what I have read every month, the good, the bad, and the ugly. And then also what's up next for me to read which fluctuates. Don't hold me to that list always. (laughs) But I do always have kind of a loose plan for what I want to read next. And so I like sharing that with you, especially for new releases that I've pre-ordered or something that you might want to know about. But first up, before we get to the books that I have been reading, I want to answer a question that I keep getting in my DMs several times a week. I feel like I've explained this in a few different places, but if I continue to get questions about it, then obviously I haven't explained it well enough. So I quickly want to give you my updated and ongoing review of my Kindle Oasis. So if you've been around here for a while, you know that my preferred way to read these days is on a Kindle, which is I guess not shocking. I've been reading on a Kindle for 10 years, but it was a slow evolution for me converting almost entirely to reading on my Kindle. I used to just do half and half. It's really hard for me to read nonfiction, like the type of things that I really want to underline or make notes in the margins. I don't do that on my Kindle. But 
almost everything else, it's just become my vastly preferred way to read books. I can throw it in my purse. I always have it with me. I can read at night when my husband is asleep next to me in the bed. The room is dark. You can read it with the lights off. You can read it in the bright sunshine if you're sitting outside, as I live in Southern California, which these days is not full of bright sunshine, but I digress. Anyway, I am a Kindle evangelist, and for a very long time, I swore by the Kindle Paperwhite. I had two, maybe even three versions of the Kindle Paperwhite. Loved it, talked about it, shared about it forever and ever. Saw no need to change that up until curiosity got the best of me, and I upgraded to the Kindle Oasis several months ago. I say it's an upgrade because it's considered to be, you know, a step above the Paperwhite. It's almost twice the price. It supposedly has a different technology or something. I don't know. It is thinner, but I I don't know that I consider it an absolute upgrade. And that is part of my review. I love the Oasis because of the buttons. So instead of tapping the side of the device, the side of the screen, which is how you turn the page with the Kindle Paperwhite, instead of doing that, there are actual physical buttons. You can still tap the side of the screen. It will turn the page that way also. But the physical buttons on the side of the device is how I choose to turn the pages and what I think is the biggest benefit to having a Kindle Oasis. For me, I just like the way it sits in my hand and I can with one hand turn the page. It feels like it's a little more responsive, like the page turns more quickly than with the paper white where you're tapping it. And also it's just a little bit more of an awkward way to hold it and tap it. It's either a two-handed gesture or you sort of have to move your hand to do that on the paper white. It is not that big a deal. I do not know that it is worth 100 plus more dollars (laughs) unless like me you are reading every single day on this device and it's your primary and preferred way to read then yeah then the buttons do make a difference and are worth those dollars but for a lot of people especially if they're just now getting into e-reading they're not even sure if they're going to like the paperwhite or not I suggest starting with the paperwhite it's much more budget friendly I mean it's still $100, $120, but it's not $220. And it's a little bit smaller than the Oasis, which means it fits in a purse or sometimes even a large pocket more easily. It's been around for longer. And so there are more cover options for the Paperwhite. And the Paperwhite has a better battery life, which is actually a huge part of this. The Paperwhite can go a long time without charging, a couple of weeks, I feel like. I never tested it exactly, but I did not charge my paper white very often. I was always surprised when it was like nearing the end of battery, like I forgot that it needed to be charged. That's how great the paper white battery does last. The Oasis does need to be charged. I charge my Oasis once a week, probably, or every 10 days, probably twice as much as I was charging the paper white. So it's twice as much money, half the battery. I feel like I'm panning it when I'm not. I love my Oasis. I just feel like the people who are asking me about this decision, whether they should do a paper white or Oasis, 
I just want them to know all the facts that unless you're already a seasoned e-reader lover, I think you should start with the paper white. They're both waterproof. If you have the paper white and you are wondering if you want to upgrade, it all comes down to the buttons. So that's my big review on Kindles these days. I truly get asked that all the time. So I wanted to be real clear, especially if you're considering, you know, buying one sometime soon that you heard it straight from my mouth. Okay, now let's talk about books. I'm very curious to hear, so I do hope that you share in a comment thread or on social media or something with me in the Facebook group, if you're in the Facebook group, how your reading life is going here in the beginning of 2023. I'm so curious to know if anyone else has experienced these ups and downs of reading mood and priority. You know, December is sort of universally chaotic or busy and, you know, lots of things can get pushed to the side in December. And then in January is kind of traditionally a return to habits and routines. And so I'm wondering if that has affected your reading life, as I know that it does mine. But the books I'm going to share with you, I'm going to start with a few that I didn't get a chance to talk about in December. The first one is Now is Not the Time to Panic by Kevin Wilson. I'm sure that you have seen this everywhere. It has a great cover. Kevin Wilson is one of those authors that I feel like people either really love or they just don't quite get his quirkiness or like his quirkiness. His stories are like a little off the beaten path. The one that was popular a few years ago, of course, was Nothing to See Here, which is about children that spontaneously catch on fire. That was an interesting story. I also read Perfect Little World a few years before that by Kevin Wilson, also interesting and quirky. This new one, the one that came out in late 2022, titled Now is Not the Time to Panic, it is really a slow burn. I started it and was not connecting with it at first. I almost didn't get what was happening. (laughs) Whereas the other ones, while they are quirky, I got what was happening. And I don't mean I was like confused by the plot. I almost just didn't understand like the tone or if it was really going anywhere. The premise of this novel is that these two teenagers in high school, they're kind of outcasts, sort of loners. They befriend each other one sort of lonely summer in I guess what would be the 80s, I think, or early 90s, pre-internet days. And they create a poster, like a graphic poster, that they put up all over town and in its own way, it goes viral before going viral was a thing. And it causes the, the nature of the poster and what's written on it sort of causes like a panic. This is clearly a nod to satanic panic of the 80s, 90s. And it's really just about like how things get out of control and misconstrued and about this friendship. It's a lot about this friendship and about creativity and like what artists are really responsible for or not if art incites something completely unintended. The way I'm describing it is kind of what you get after you've finished the book. And it's really interesting 
But I do think that when you are reading the book, you are not seeing, or at least this was my experience, you're not seeing what is so interesting about it kind of until you see a bigger picture because it flashes forward to present day or, you know, quite a bit in the future when there are like books and documentaries and things about the panic of that summer. And so you're kind of following the adult versions of these teenagers who did this thing. And I was much more interested in the storyline of the actual teenagers doing the thing. I liked that part a lot better. I was sort of less interested in how their adult selves were taking it until the end. Again, you sort of have to see the bigger picture of how this all played out for it to really make you think. And this is what I appreciate about what Kevin Wilson is doing. His books are really unlike anything else that I'm reading in general, in that how you feel about them when you're reading them is different than how you feel about them when it's over, kind of what the social commentary is. He's telling it in such a funny, offbeat way that I just can't help but appreciate what he's doing. Even though when I'm reading it, I'm not like, this is great, five stars all around. You almost have to let this one simmer with you. And, you know, I've read some reviews of this one or just like bookstagram captions, not like deep lengthy reviews, but people who just never ended up really connecting to it. And I sort of understand that point of view. This one in particular, now is not the time to panic. But honestly, I read so many books that sometimes they feel forgettable. Forgettable is a really strong word. I don't mean that they don't make a really great impression or leave me feeling something or thinking about something from a different angle. But I don't necessarily think about them months later. And I do feel like with Kevin Wilson's book, including this one, Now is Not the Time to Panic, that you think about these themes for a long time because they're so different and because they're so interesting. And so it's not necessarily a raving five-star read for me, but it's so notable. His books are just such a standout, including this one for me. Here we are a couple of months later from me reading it, and I am still thinking about it as I try to explain it to you. It definitely feels like a book that would be a good book club pick, especially because not everybody will like it. Like you can just tell that not everybody will like it. But these themes and this overall plot will definitely cause a discussion. (laughs) People will definitely have feelings and maybe depending on their age have memories of a time when something like this might have happened, like pre-internet days, what caused an uproar? You know, it, it was a different time. And so that was also part of it. There's a lot of nostalgia in the book for me where I was like sort of noticing like, oh, I sort of remember when life was like that. And we like to think of all of that as a more innocent time. But was it? Have people changed all that much? You know, maybe not. Anyway, that first one was Now is Not the Time to Panic by Kevin Wilson. Also in December, for me, I started a book, actually not 1000% finished with this, but I'm at the very, very end, so I feel like comfortable telling you about it, is The Anatomy of Anxiety by Ellen Vora. This is obviously a nonfiction book about the nature of anxiety and maybe a different way to frame anxiety and certainly a few ways to treat it. I think I heard this author on a podcast, which made me order the book. I'm not 
a thousand percent positive, but I'm pretty positive. With sunshine, outdoor activities, and so many fun things to do outside, it is impossible not to enjoy all of these good weather days up ahead. Of course, we all know that more sun and fun means more sweating, and yes, more odor. That's why I'm excited to tell you about Lumi. Lumi is the first of its kind in the full body deodorant world and is seriously safe to use on any and every part of your body. It was created by an OBGYN who saw firsthand how regular body odor was being misdiagnosed and mistreated. I especially love that Lumi deodorant is baking soda and paraben free. It is also pH balanced for safe use on all areas of your body. You can choose from a variety of fresh scents like clean tangerine, lavender sage, and toasted coconut. Lumi's starter pack is perfect for new customers. It comes with a solid stick deodorant, cream tube deodorant, two free products of your choice, like a mini body wash or deodorant wipes, and free shipping. As a special offer for listeners, new customers get $5 off a Lumi starter pack with code U at lumideodorant.com. That equates to 40% off your starter pack when you visit Lumi, L-U-M-E, deodorant, D-E-O-D-O-R-A-N-T, com and use code U, Y-O-U. Ellen Vora is a psychiatrist. She is an MD. And so she has treated a lot of patients over the years with anxiety. And I just felt really seen reading this book. I felt like it was an explanation for a lot of parts of my anxiety, many of which I have talked about here and some I haven't. But she sort of differentiates between what she calls true anxiety and environmental anxiety. And, you know, she explains, and I'm just giving a broad overview here, but that environmental anxiety can sometimes be caused by our literal environment and things that we can control, like what we eat, how exhausted we are. Those can give us these real bodily symptoms of anxiety, like racing heart, looping thoughts, shakiness, fitful dreams, fear, a lot of these things that, you know, come out as symptoms, but they are partially a product of environment versus true anxiety, which is, and and I'm like, I'm a little iffy on this word, true anxiety, but I know what she means. It's like not about just your body or stress or something, that it is actually an intuitive communication. One of the quotes from the book is, true anxiety is not something wrong with you. It's your body telling you that something else is out of balance in our bodies, our lives, our relationships, in the world. And that just really rang true for me as I've talked about my anxiety over the years and haven't always been able to articulate why I live with my anxiety in the way that I do. And it's because for me, there are parts of it that are a siren, an alarm bell, a communication, if you will. Now, the other parts of it were hard to read. And I think is in some ways why this book has very mixed reviews. Not everyone connects to the way that she is talking about this. There is a huge section on food, and that gets dicey for a lot of people, including myself when I was reading it, because I think that controlling your food to an extreme degree is just setting yourself up for a whole other disorder, an eating disorder. And 
She's not asking you to control your food in that way. She is explaining how biologically certain foods kick off reactions and inflammation and gut stuff and all these things in your body, which then give you anxiety. And some of those sections bring up a lot of feelings. I mean, for me personally, most of my very favorite foods are comfort foods. They're foods that I look to for soothing when I am anxious. So knowing intellectually that they are also contributing to the anxiety itself, caffeine and sugar, these things, I don't want to read that. I don't want to know that. I don't want that to be true. But somehow reading this from her, I really appreciated the tone that she struck when she was talking about this element, even though I didn't want to read it. If you read some of the reviews, you will see that not everyone agrees with me that some people were not always on the same page and felt like some of her information was contradictory and or offensive. For me in a book like this, I do sometimes feel like you hear the message when you're ready to hear it. And I have heard some of these messages about different parts of my anxiety from other sources where I wasn't ready to hear it or I didn't want to hear it. I like actively resisted it. I don't know why that this book, this tone, maybe it was just a timing thing, struck a chord with me where I realized the truth to some of the parts of it that were environmental versus true anxiety. Not always just about food, but just about like the things that you can control. I've talked a ton about how sleep is tied to my anxiety, lack of sleep, I have to be rested, or I have actual panic attacks. So when she's writing about that part of the environmental anxiety, I felt very affirmed that, you know, I wasn't just being high maintenance about my sleep, or I wasn't just like making that up, that that was very real. And then also, it sort of gave me permission this book to separate these two different types of anxieties. And the type that is trying to communicate something to me, spiritually almost or intuitively and why in some ways that is a strength for me instead of seeing it as high maintenance or an inconvenience although sometimes it can be seeing it as a strength or a positive that my body and spirit is very responsive when something is wrong this just helped me reframe some of my anxiety it wasn't all completely original thoughts for me but the way it was articulated was very helpful and affirming. One last quote from the book is, instead of asking how can I stop feeling so anxious, we should be asking what is my anxiety telling me? And I guess I just hadn't heard it written about in this way that so mirrored my own experience. And so that's why I connected this book. The name of this book is The Anatomy of Anxiety, Understanding and Overcoming the Body's Fear Response by Ellen Fora. Okay, my first book of this year, of 2023, and I did not choose this lightly. I had several books that I like sort of debated between, not that it matters what your first book of the year is, but I don't know, I was feeling sentimental about it. And I picked this one that I had bought on recommendation from a few people. I picked it on the title, definitely not on what this novel was about, because I did not know what this novel was about. The title of the book is We All Want Impossible Things by Katherine Newman. This is a book that I was seeing everywhere in the last several months and had some trusted people that I follow who really recommended it. And so I just decided that's how I wanted to start 2023. 
from a title standpoint, not knowing exactly that this book is about two best friends and one is in hospice, dying of cancer, and the other one is taking care of her while also dealing with you know some very complicated personal life situations, a divorce, two kids, a series of bad choices. I thought this book, despite its heavy and sad premise, was laugh out loud funny. Our main character, Ashley, who is the one not in hospice, she has such a unique and snarky, witty voice throughout this novel. She is unlikable, but like in the way that unlikable people can be very, very funny. And there are multiple times throughout this book where you just want to like smack her across the head because she is, like I said, making bad choices. She's hurting people. But still, the love for her family, for her friend, it absolutely shines through. You can see that she's using these bad choices, you know, as a coping mechanism, that she might have a tendency towards self-deprecation, to put it mildly. She's a mess, but she's full of love and you can't help but empathize with the position that she is in, caring for her dear, dear best friend. This book is very sad. I choked up several times. And even given this plot, I just didn't want to put it down. I thought it was so good. It felt really real. And maybe that's a cliche to say when you're talking about books and novels, but it did. It felt so real, like I was in that family too. That's how you feel. That's how close it feels. And even though it's sad, I was glad that I chose this for my first book of the year because of the strong, unique voice and the realness of it. And it made me feel like, oh, this is what it means to be alive. This is what it means to love in all of its messiest form. And so it just ended up being a five-star read. And starting the year off with a five-star read felt like a good omen for this reading year. That novel was called We All Want Impossible Things by Katherine Newman. I also read this month a book that I bought on my Kindle at the end of last year. This is the theme. All of these books that I'm talking about today are new releases, new in the last six months. And I swear to you, I'm trying to not read all new releases. However, there have been so many good ones that I also make no apologies for these incredible writers who are putting out incredible things. What are we supposed to do? We're supposed to read them. This one is Our Missing Hearts by Celeste Ng. Celeste Ng has become, you know, such a popular author, especially with her novel Little Fires Everywhere that was adapted into a miniseries and that I liked the book, not the adaptation. I didn't see the adaptation. I liked Little Fires Everywhere. I didn't, I wasn't like super enamored with it. It didn't stay with me. Our Missing Hearts, this new book that I just read, it kind of took my breath away. You know, I didn't read it right away because either someone had said this or I had gathered it from the blurb or something that the book was going to be political, which I read plenty of political books and plenty of books are subversively political, but I just wasn't necessarily in the mood for an overtly political book that was going to feel polarizing. 
However, I really like Celeste Ng, and I wanted to see what all the fuss was about for this one. And it is absolutely a culturally relevant and political book, but not in the way I was expecting at all. It takes place in the future, but sort of the immediate future, I would say, maybe 10-ish years in the future, after a big sort of international event called The Crisis. So you can see that it feels like loosely future-based on something like a pandemic. And in this future, Americans have to be very careful with what they say and do and read. There has been an immense amount of violence and discrimination against people from Asian countries, particularly China, because they are thought to have been the cause of quote-unquote, the crisis. So you can see where this is going, that this feels like an immediate future set book. So it's about activism and family and choices. One of our main characters, a mom, has written a poem or a series of poems that have sort of become the slogans of current activism and what is seen as like anti-government rhetoric. And so you are following her story as a woman, as a Chinese woman, and as a mother. And then you're also following this story of her son, who is very young and doesn't understand any of this. And so as a reader, we are sort of learning alongside her young son, who's 11, I believe, which is the same age as my son. So I I was feeling very connected to that boy. And I don't want to give much away about this book because... I think letting it unfold was a surprise. It went in several different angles. It took several different pivots, not like twists, not like plot twists, like it's a thriller, not quite like that, but just it just went in a different direction than I was expecting multiple times. And so I don't want to give anything away about this book other than to say, if you have also steered away from it because you maybe got the impression that it was going to be polarizing or or not what you're in the mood for or something that's not quite the right take that's what I thought and that was not exactly how it felt to me it felt like a perspective I needed to read it felt like a future I needed to think about and this is my third book by Celeste Ng and by far my favorite I know that people you know she's a must read for a lot of people and I like her books but it wasn't sure I would necessarily pre-order them but After this one, she's definitely made a different sort of impression on me. That novel is called Our Missing Hearts by Celeste Ng. Okay, and then lastly, I'm only like halfway through this one. (laughs) And normally I would not talk about a book that I'm halfway through in this month's reading roundup. I would save it and talk about it in next month's reading roundup after I have finished it. And I probably will still do that too, but I just have to chime in here because I am halfway through Spare by Prince Harry. (laughs) And and we need to talk about this. I almost feel like we need an emergency secret stuff meeting to get on Zoom and discuss this book, even though I'm only halfway through. Now, I am not a royal watcher at all. And I've only mildly paid attention to just the most major headlines of Prince Harry and Meghan Markle and, you know, their departure to the United States. Like, I 
know all about that because you can't escape that knowledge. But it is not something that I have followed closely. I hadn't seen the documentary, or is there more than one? I hadn't seen any of the hubbub, you know, TV shows or movies or interviews or whatever with them to have really formed that much of an opinion about any of this. I mean, I've sort of watched with interest some of the varying opinions about Prince Harry and Meghan Markle and their relationship to the throne. And like, it's clearly very interesting, but this just isn't something that I'm like that into. So I don't know very many details. Like I just, I didn't. And so this wouldn't be a book I would normally pick up. Like same as the headlines, I just would sort of, you know, glean the gist. But I I don't know why I just didn't really want to wade into this particular cultural conversation. And I can't even explain why I have an aversion to it. Maybe because it just feels like a lot of drama. (laughs) And I know that there is some very important, you know, questions being asked here about royalty in general and racism and things that are like truly important are buried in a lot of stuff that doesn't feel very important, like all this drama and pomp and circumstance and bestowing titles or taking back titles or I don't know. It just, it feels like a lot to me. And so again, would have have avoided this as a book I would read and would have just like done the Cliff Notes version of how this was affecting anything culturally, especially because when it first came out a few weeks ago, it felt very much like The only thing I saw, and again, this might just be the type of people I follow on Twitter, for example, but it just felt like it was getting just knocked up and down for how bad it was or, you know, how what a betrayal it was and all this. And so I, again, just more reason for me not to read it. However, so many people were posting about how good it was that, you know, I get sucked into very buzzworthy books. Like, I need to be able to talk about them. If everyone's talking about a book, I will read it so that I kind of know what all the hubbub is about. I always have trouble resisting that. And I happen to have an Audible credit, and so many people had said it was really good on audio because he reads it himself. So I was like, fine, fine, I'm just going to do it. Now, again, I'm only halfway through, but I am riveted. I mean to tell you, riveted. So suddenly, all those years of not caring at all about royals, I maybe I'm starting to get it. Maybe I do care a lot now, immediately. <laughs> but I also say that as someone who didn't go into this book with a preconceived emotional attachment one way or the other. So people who are, you know, staunchly on the side of Prince Harry and Meghan Markle or you know, they're radically against royalty and so they are cheering on this defection for whatever reason. Or opposite, I feel like I know closely some people who are royal watchers who are very into the royal family and, you know, have felt this sense of betrayal or or heartbreak around Harry leaving and, you know, feel like what he did was ridiculous and writing this book is even worse and like it's just, you know, the end of all decorum kind of thing. He can never walk back from this. I didn't have either of those strong views. And so, of course, I'm not like totally objective. Nobody's totally objective. But I just didn't have an emotional attachment one way or the other. So listening to this book and hearing the different details of what royal life is like, although I do think he like really holds back on what it's actually like because he's never not been royal. So it's almost like, how do you even describe 
what a day in the life looks like when you just assume we're all working under the same information. So you don't always say like the normal stuff like, and then I brush my teeth and then I do some laundry or whatever. His equivalent of that, what is very normal to him, is so not normal to us. He seems to almost not even think to explain some things to us. (laughs) That's not what this book is about. It's not trying to explain to us what being royal is, but I do feel like some, sometimes he's explaining something in the book or telling a story and I'm like, okay, but you're also Prince Harry. So like, where was your security when this was happening? Or how did you even, you know, how were you able to do this thing or whatever? Because you're not in a normal circumstance where you could just buy a ticket or get on a plane or any of those things. And he doesn't always go into those like nitty gritty details that I want to know, like the logistical details. However, the relationship pieces and how he was feeling inside versus how his public actions were portrayed or or how his own actions, not even just portrayed, but like how his own actions didn't really match what was going on in his mind or in his heart. And then all the stuff about the media, which he obviously has a very big axe to grind about the media for, you know, good reason. The paparazzi, the tabloids, he believes them responsible for his mother's death which is, of course, going to give you an axe to grind for the rest of your life. So the book itself is really trying to put forth a very specific narrative. And so far, I'm here for it. I think it is so interesting. I believe it to be a historic document. I don't know if every single word of it is true because, I mean, I don't know that it's necessarily deceptive, but I think that he is inserting a lot of his feelings about something that we can't be sure if that's, you know, exactly what was really happening or just his perception of it. But that's like any memoir, right? I mean, that's any kind of story. He's not telling this from a journalistic point of view. He's telling this from a personal point of view, which means I absolutely believe it to be like an historic document, this book. And I'm honestly just riveted. That's the word I'm going to use, riveted. I don't listen to a ton of audiobooks. When I do, they are like this, memoir, nonfiction, read by the author. I listen to a lot of them, and this one is definitely among the top so far. Now, as I'm recording this, I have not gotten even to the part where he he hasn't even met Meghan Markle, where I am in this book. And so I wonder if I will feel differently by the end of it. I will report back in next month's reading roundup how I ended up feeling about it overall, and that part of the story. But I'm far enough along, I'm a little bit more than halfway, that I I could not record this episode and not tell you, especially because so many people are talking about it. And so if you've read it, I want to hear from you your opinion. If you've been on the fence and you have that audible credit ready and waiting, I cannot recommend the audio enough. It is just, it's fascinating, truly. Next up on my list, what I want to read next, the few things I have waiting for me on my Kindle. I have How to Sell a Haunted House by Grady Hendrix. That came out in January. I haven't gotten to it, but I have it waiting. I have Electra by Jennifer Saint because I really enjoyed her first book. I have Toad by Catherine Dunn, which came out after her death, Catherine Dunn is the author of Geek Love, one of my favorite books of all time. It is very weird and quirky. <laughs> Do not pick that up if you are a sensitive reader. But I loved, loved, love her book, 
Geek Love. She passed away several years ago, and this is a book that they, not exactly sure the whole story, if she was almost done with it or mostly done with it, they sort of finished it and released it. I didn't haven't heard very much about it at all, except I saw that it had been released, and so I went and bought it. It's called Toad. I also bought My Heart is a Chainsaw by Stephen Graham Jones, because my favorite book of last year was... The Only Good Indians, also by Stephen Graham Jones. And many, many people told me if I liked that, then I really needed to read his novel, My Heart is a Chainsaw. So I have that waiting. I bought Signal Fires by Danny Shapiro because I love her. I've read several of her nonfiction books and absolutely loved them. I've never read her fiction before. And so I've heard great things about Signal Fires. So I bought that. There are also several books coming out that I have pre-ordered that I want to make sure you know about. First is Exiles by Jane Harper. I really like Jane Harper. That book just came out also in January. A huge release that I've been looking forward to is Rebecca Bunkai's new book. She wrote The Great Believers, which is one of my favorites. Her new book comes out February 21st. It is titled I Have Some Questions for You. Already pre-ordered that one. Later in the year, I have pre-ordered You Could Make This Place Beautiful by Maggie Smith and Romantic Comedy by Curtis Sittenfield. Both of those come out in April. One of my very, very favorite writers, David Joy, he has a new book coming out in August called Those We Thought We Knew. And then also an author, probably my absolute most anticipated novel coming out in all of 2023 is coming out in May. It's by... Nana Kwame Ajay Brinya. He wrote Friday Black, which is a series of short stories several years back. It's one of my favorites of all time. He blows me all the way away. And so I've been excited about this novel for months. Definitely my you know most anticipated novel in 2023. It's called Chain Gang All-Stars. It comes out in May. Also in May, The Ferryman by Justin Cronin. If you ever read The Passage, another book I loved that is that same author. And of course, two people that I love on the internet are Eric Thomas. He is writing a new book, is coming out in August called Congratulations, The Best is Over. And one of my dear friends, one of my very favorite people on the planet, Brie McCoy, her book called The Cook's Book is also coming out in August. And then of course, y'all know my book The Life Council, 10 Friends Every Woman Needs. It comes out in April. I am announcing my pre-order bonuses very, very soon. And there are going to be special pre-order bonuses just for Secret Stuff members. So make sure that you have that book, my book, The Life Council, pre-ordered and ready to go so that when I announce that, you can just send in your proof of purchase and get your goodies. If you need to know more about my book, you can go to thelifecouncilbook.com. Y'all, I'm feeling so good about 2023. I don't want to jinx it. I'm trying to train myself that it's okay to say things like that and not feel like you're jinxing it. But I do. I'm feeling good. I feel like reading is sort of a barometer for me. If my reading is going well, life is going well. If my reading's a mess, maybe my life's a mess. (laughs) And so... Right now, with so many good things that I've been reading and that's waiting for me to read, it makes me feel like I'm right where I am supposed to be. I hope that your reading life and your beginning of 2023 is also feeling good. Again, I would love to hear what you've been reading. 
please leave me a comment, share in stories, post in the Facebook group. I never, ever get tired of talking about books, taking your book recommendations, all the things, reading. Reading is the answer. Reading is life. Thanks for listening, friends. I hope that you enjoyed that reading roundup episode, a sneak peek into what these episodes are like every month when you join the Secret Stuff membership community. If you'd like more of these personal episodes, plus invitations to the twice monthly Zoom gatherings that I lead, go to 10thingstotellyou.com slash secret stuff. That's 10thingstotellyou.com slash secret stuff. Hope to see you there. You've just listened to an episode of the 10 Things to Tell You podcast. For show notes and links, go to 10thingstotellyou.com. Make sure you're following us on Facebook and Instagram at 10thingstotellyou. And you can also join our free connection group on Facebook to discuss episodes and topics. For bonus content, ad-free episodes, and monthly Zoom gatherings with me, join my Secret Stuff Patreon community by going to 10thingstotellyou.com slash secret stuff. Thanks for listening.